Well, it's good to be back in front of everybody. I had a little bit of a break in December and grateful for that. I'm not sure, but for me, the year 2019 might be the year of glasses. So I've got them on up here, and we're putting those on. And I'm anticipating that when I put these on, you all will listen much more attentively than you were previously. In fact, I might even just put them on even when I don't need them just to get you to listen. Um, but I don't know how you like if I have to look over the top. Um, sometimes that's not good. So I don't know. We're just going to let this happen as it does. I don't know exactly how that's going to go. But I was thinking this week as I was looking at our passage how there is this thing in Scripture that is very highly valued. And the Bible talks about it in different ways, talks about this thing as the rain and the snow that seeps into the ground and, and brings forth life. That's one metaphor that's used to talk about this thing that we're going to talk about today. And then there's uh, another place where it's talked about like as a seed that you put in the ground and it um, is watered and begins to bring life and pokes through the surface and gives birth to vegetation of all different kinds, a, a seed. And there's another part in scripture that talks about this thing as like a morsel of nourishing food that goes inside of a person's body and the nutrients break apart and are used by the body and then the person can experience the delight of life. And this thing, as described in all these metaphors, has this tremendous power to, to give life. And as we enter a new year, we stand on the the doorstep of a new year that God has given us graciously to live into, wouldn't it be great to enter into this season with this thing that brings life? And maybe you're wondering what this thing is, and our scripture is going to tell us this morning. This thing is the word of God. It's the word of God. Would you open with me to the book of Acts chapter 5, and this thing which brings life in all the different ways is described in here, And as we embark on a new year, we want to embark on it with this beautiful gift that we've given, which is the life-giving word. Now, if you need a Bible, raise your hand and we'll pass one to you because this is, this is the written, this is the word of God that we want to share together. It's on the passage we're looking at is on page 630 or 532. Raise your hand really. Don't be shy about having the Bible so you can follow along with me. Now, the word of God, in the passage, we're going to see that the angel tells the apostles in this passage, he says this to them, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all, listen to this, the words of life. That's what this thing is that we're talking about today, the words of life. Wouldn't it be great to enter into 2019 with words of life? Do you need words of life this year to be able to make it through, to be able to thrive in this coming season? And then at the end of the passage, we're going to see there's this admonition given to the people of God to keep on speaking the words of life. And it's very interesting. It says in the temple and in the house, in the temple and the house. And it's similar to the way we're structured as a church in the temple when we gather together, in a sense, you could say, and house to house when we gather in our home groups. We're to keep on speaking words that give life. So what I want to share with us this morning is that since the word brings life, keep on speaking it in 2019. We want to talk about the power of the word and then a, sort of an admonition and encouragement to us 
to keep on speaking the word. And this is going to come out of the text. We're going to break it into two parts. We're first of all going to talk about the power of the word. So would you look with me in chapter 5 in the book of Acts, verse 12. Now this is the uh, third description of the community that's being formed in this season, the birth of the church season. There's this incredible community that's being formed. And the operative force for the formation of this new community is described, if you go back just a little bit in chapter 4 in verse 29. Now, the, the, the apostles are being pressed in upon by forces that are opposing the development, the birth of this little new church in the book of Acts. The forces are being pressed on, pressing in upon them, and they pray a prayer that indicates what they believe is the operative force in the creation of this new precious community. And it's there in chapter 4, verse 29. It says, and now, Lord, this is what they ask, look upon their threats, these forces that are coming against them, and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And then skip over to chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. So the prayer is answered right here. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. That's one of the entrances to the temple. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. People also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits. And they were all healed, it says. I want you to try to imagine that moment in time and what would it have been like to be present as this new community is being formed and all of these healings are taking place. People's lives are being completely transformed. A few observations about what's happening here. Someone has pointed out that it's almost like the true temple is growing up right there in the midst of the old temple. The true temple where the activity of God is actually taking place. And, and, and what is the true temple? Well, the, the Lord is present there with them. Salvation is happening. There's the healing, the poor being taken care of, which is not described in this particular summary, but in the previous summary that we looked at, they all go, they pooled their stuff together so they could take care of the poor. And if you look back through the Old Testament, what you see is that's actually what was supposed to be happening in and around the temple. But it wasn't. And so God came and formed this new kind of temple. Now, if you follow the presence of God in the world, you see throughout the biblical story this kind of a history where, first of all, the tabernacle, God dwells with the people as they put up the tent of tabernacle, uh, and then that becomes the temple. Tabernacle is, is, is really about God's dwelling with the people. 
Uh, and then Jesus comes, and what do we call Jesus? We just went through the whole Christmas season. We said this word over and over again. We call him Emmanuel, God with us. So now the presence of God with the people is in the person of Jesus Christ. And then after the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we begin to talk about the church, not the building of the church, like we even have one here, but this is a school, but not the building, whatever it was. The, the, the people of God, they become the tabernacle of God, where, where the Spirit dwells, where God dwells, His presence with them. And so you see this movement from the temple to Jesus to the people of God. And that's what's happening right here. The Lord is with the community as it is, as it is, is growing. Uh, to, and, and, and he's present. This is, this is the actual temple. And it's in the shadow of the old temple, which is being shelled. And signs and wonders, another observation, are happening. And it's interesting to note that they're happening regularly. They're regularly done. And it says all the people were being healed. And I want you to imagine the beauty of that moment. What would it have been like? Just imagine you've been praying for your aunt or your daughter or your son for years and years and years. And there's, there's sickness there. And it continues. It persists. And it's something that you uh, are grappling with as a community day in and day out. And your heart is connected to this person that you love. And suddenly this person is being healed. And everything's changed. Everything has changed. Imagine the emotional uh, environment that would have accompanied all these healings and everything that was taking place. The joy that would have overflowed. The sense of relief. Oh, no longer do we have to carry this guy on a pallet and put him out in the street so he can beg. You know, these are the kinds of things that are happening in this new forming community. People are, are being healed and all kinds of signs and wonders are taking place. Now, we as a church hold to what's called a continuationist view on the gifts of the Holy Spirit and things like healing. Uh, and what that just means is, is we believe in our reading of the scripture that the work of the Holy Spirit of the kind that's described in this text continues today, that, that people can be healed by the, the work of the Holy Spirit, that, that people can be transformed in these kinds of ways. Uh, and so that's our position on this. Uh, and so we would expect that similar kinds of things might be possible in our community today. And if you've been with us over the last season, you know we've been leaning into this. We've had times of prayer. We've had times of laying hands on people. We've had times of anointing. And we're praying, trying to pray according to the scripture and to have faith uh, that God can and can, will continue to do the things that he has done in the past. And the question that often comes up with that was what sort of expectation should we have around the work of God as pertains to signs and wonders and healing. And in my notes, I just have a little emoji that goes like this. You know that little one? I don't know. I don't know. But I know what the scripture teaches, right? I know what the scripture teaches, that this is part of the movement of God in the world. I know that the Holy Spirit has moved in my life in more ways than I can count. I know that the Holy Spirit has moved in the lives of the people that I love and pray for, oftentimes in, in more ways that I can count. Okay? And I know that the, the history of the church is there's this kind of ebb and flow. There will be seasons. We call them revival usually. 
where God releases his spirit in a special way and, and all kinds of things take place. And, and then there will be seasons where it seems like there's a dryness and, and we're just persisting day in and day out and praying and seeking God and yet it's, it seems like things aren't happening in the way that we would want them to happen. That's just the history of the church. That's just the way it goes. Are we, are we on the precipice of, of a change in that? when God might release his spirit in a way and there might be transformations taking place? Again, the emoji, I don't know, right? I don't know. But I do know that God has called me to be faithful in prayer and in hope and in seeking. And we leave the timing up to him. It's his church, not our church. I remember in the very beginning of this church, we, we started off and we had some rough years in the very beginning, as you can imagine, uh, planning in church and one of the least church areas in the country. And there were moments where it felt like uh, there was a temp- strong temptation to give up. And, um, and then we had sort of some things happen and there was a little bit of a time of recommitment and, um, and we grew a little bit and then we outgrew the space where we were and moved into this building. I remember that first year when we were in this building some spectacular things happened. So, uh, 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 an unusual number of people came to faith in that year. And there were, there were kinds of healings of an emotional kind, people dealing with brokenness in their lives that was addressed by the Lord in that year. And relational situations that were fractured and there was a lot of pain and they were addressed in that particular. And we had, I remember, a very high number of testimonies. People stood up and gave testimony to the Lord's work in their lives in that particular year. And I always look back on that year with fondness and, and thanksgiving. And, and, and I ask myself, what did we do in that year that was different from the other years? And guess what's in my notes? The emoji. I don't know. We just were faithful. We just kept on doing the same thing. It seemed like that we'd been doing all along. Praying, hoping, seeking, repenting, all of those pieces. And that's what God's called us to. That's what God's called us to in 2019, is to continue to seek and to pray and to pursue the Lord and to read the Word and to allow the the life-giving Word of God to shape us and to be faithful. This is the walk of faith that we're on. But we also know, and this is the second part of what we're going to talk about here is that there will be oftentimes forces which will intend to keep us from doing just that, from keeping on, from being faithful, from moving forward, from speaking words of life into each other. We know that this is part of the history of the church as well, that there are opposing pressures. And that's what the next story in this text is about. Look with me in verse 17. The early church is experiencing this season of fruitfulness and the work of God. But, it says, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Now, 
You put them in public prison, right? So it's like, uh uh-oh, no more word going forth. No more operative force to, to bring the community into existence. Put them in prison. Stop that. Oh, but no, God sends an angel and breaks them out. You're going to see in this passage this drama between the word being shut down and God reopening it again. So the word is shut down. They're put into prison. But then the angel comes and breaks them out of prison and says, verse 20, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. There it is again. These are the words of this life. Verse 21, and when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. And there's a bit of comedy in how this all unfolds. The high priests are assuming that they're still in jail. So it says, now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the Senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. So they think they're in prison, but they're in the temple preaching again, right? But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now, when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. (laughs) And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. No word. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us, referring to Jesus, because they crucified Jesus. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus. And and by the way, if you're wondering what this word is that gives life, here, here it is in the text. This is the word that they've been sharing and that they're going to continue to share. Um, The God of our fathers, this is verse 30, raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. We've seen the word. We've seen the word and the power of the word. But we're not the only witnesses, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they, the the, the authorities, heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, and And by the way, we're going to find out later on in the book of Acts that this is Paul's teacher. And so I think what's going on here is, and Luke does this throughout the book of Acts, he's introducing the next part of the story, which is going to be the story of Paul, which is coming. He's introducing it in a kind of a subtle way. He did this with Barnabas before. And and he's going to show us that Gamaliel is actually a very reasonable person, which is going to shape, in some ways, the way we think about Paul. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. So get them out of here so we can have a conversation. 
And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas, the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Yeah. I think about that with respect to church. If this undertaking is of man or woman, it won't go anywhere. But it's of of God, nothing will be able to stop it. All right. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them, because that's what you do just for good measure, right? Just beat them. Okay, okay, we'll just beat you 39 lashes, 40 minus 1, because if you had 40, you might die. Um, what a harsh world they were in. So much harsher than what we face. So much harsher than what we face. They beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then this just boggles the mind. Then they, that's the the ones who are beaten for speaking the word, left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, meaning the name of Jesus. And every day (laughs) in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. So there will be these forces that come in that intend to crush the work of God through his life-giving word. And what are these forces? Well, there's just one, really. It's the enemy of God, as it always is, the evil one who operates oftentimes through people in authority, which is what you see in, in this text, but can also function... Uh, more broadly in, in cultural transformations, which is what I would describe the kind of scenario that we're in. The culture continues to move away from belief and to become more and more secular. And so you become weirder and weirder if you actually believe in God. And even more weird if you actually think that God is working in the world and that the spirit is moving in the world. And so you start to stand out and feel different, and, and, and the enemy wants you to think that, and because that's the force that he wants to use to crush out of you the life-giving word so that you will stop speaking it, living it, sharing it in the temple and from house to house. And so what do we have in this text that helps us to stand against it? Just a few things, and then we'll finish. First of all, and we want to put these up there, how do we stand against forces that would keep us from speaking the life-giving word of God? How do we stand against forces that would keep us from speaking the life-giving word of God? Here's what I see in this text. First of all, we have to rely on the sovereignty of God. Verses 19 and 20. 
but uh, they're, they're thrown in prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Family, I would just say this. It's never over. It's never over. They're in prison. The door is locked. If anybody were tempted to think it's over and I'm done, it would have been them. And then here comes God. And he releases the people from prison and enables them to continue to speak the word. There's such a temptation being a follower of Christ or just at all in life to give up, right? To give up, to think it's over. The number of bad things that have happened have created a scenario where nothing can break us from how bad it's gotten. It's over. But that fails to appreciate the sovereignty of God. The one who made this world and and sustains every molecule in this world. Right? Is anything beyond his transformation? And as followers of Jesus, we're called to continue to hold on to that hope that even if we feel like we're sitting in a deep, dark prison, it's not over. Amen. The second one is, how do we stand against the forces that would crush the word out of us is to obey the command of God. Verse 21. And when they had heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So the angel comes and breaks it up. What does the angel say? Go and keep on speaking the words of life. And what do they do? They actually obey him. They actually go and speak. And I, I, wasn't gonna, I was going to try to say this in a really positive way. Um, let me look at my notes. When somebody has broken you from jail, okay, you're more inclined to obey what they ask you to do. Any of you sitting in this room this morning who have been come to Jesus Christ, you have been broken from jail. Eternal damnation. And so you ought, and I ought to be inclined to obey the word of Christ when he commands us to go and speak words of life. I don't care how dangerous the public authorities are. I don't care how different the secular culture is around us. He doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's, God's bigger than all that. Just go and speak words of life to a lost and hurting world. And then we stand against it by this. Look for the accompanying witness of the Holy Spirit. Verse 32. I I just love this verse. And we are witnesses to these things. So all that's happened with Jesus, that he died and he went to the cross to atone for sin so that anybody who wanted could be forgiven for all their sin they've ever done before God. Pretty awesome. Jesus did that and they're witnesses of it. 
But it says in verse 32, it says, and we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. God knows that in our own, of our own, in our, of our own strength, we're not enough to witness to what God is, what he's done. And so he comes and bears witness also. And that's why signs and wonders are, are part of the deal. They're never meant to be an end in and of themselves. They always point to the work of Christ on the cross. And they underline it. They say, see, it's really done. And it's like the, the eternal future of the world is bleeding through now as, as just a way to encourage us so that we know that what God says is actually true. It's really happening. That's what the purpose of these signs and wonders are. And I, I just wonder if we wouldn't obey a little bit more the command to go out and speak words of life, maybe the, the witnessing of the Holy Spirit would be a part of that as well. That's what it seems to be saying in the text, that they go hand in hand. So don't go running around looking for the Holy Spirit to do a bunch of amazing stuff in this church and fail not to speak words of life to a hurting, broken world. Um, and then the last one is this. Rejoice in the difficult stuff, the suffering, since that draws you closer to Christ. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. And um, I've been sitting, I've shared this one other time with uh, a woman, Katerina Zell is her name, and she is from the 1500s. Um, and so she's not living anymore. Um, but she wrote some amazing things around the time of Luther right when the Reformation was happening. And so I've been kind of working my way through some of her writings. And one of the first things she published in Strasbourg, France, what's now Strasbourg, France, was a letter to the women of Kensington, which was a nearby town, who were suffering persecution for their belief in Jesus. In fact, uh, all the men in the town who were also Protestant had to leave. So they bailed, and then the women are stuck in the town with the children, and they're suffering this persecution uh, alone in this town. And so Katerina Zell writes them this letter about how to handle persecution and suffering. Um, and one thing I've learned in my reading of, of Katerina Zell is that she has one of the richest theologies of suffering that I've ever encountered. It's, she talks of how it's through suffering that we're one away from the world and learn to depend only upon God. We learn to depend only, it's, it's only suffering that gets us to that place, okay, where we, we, everything else is stripped away. We have all of our petty needs and desires and wants melted away, and, and we, we get our focus right on Christ and Christ alone. And she calls this, it's amazing, she calls this the marvelous and surprising way our Heavenly Father deals with His children. So we look at it at suffering and persecution, this kind of thing. We're like, oh, man, God, what are you doing to me? But she's saying, no, this is the marvelous, surprising way that God deals with his children that he loves. And so precious are these opportunities that she concludes this. Yes, she's saying this to the women who are, are being persecuted. So she says, even if you are put in chains for Christ's sake, 
How happy you are. Would that God would regard me with such grace and favor and favor me with such great honor so that I should have gifts unlike yet also like yours to suffer such things with his dearest Christ and with you. Then I would be more happy, proud, and glad than all the nobles at the Strasbourg Fair in their golden chains and necklaces. How many of us are chasing after golden chains and necklaces when, as being pointed out here, the real golden chain and the real necklace is to have the privilege of suffering with Jesus Christ? Anyway, yes, I would be happier in that suffering than if I were the wife of the holy Roman emperor and sat in his highest imperial seat of majesty. Thus, we ought to keep on speaking the life-giving word in the temple and from house to house and day to day individually to allow it to speak into our lives, to allow it to shape everything that we think. One of the things God's been working on me recently is allowing the scriptures to shape my prayers for the people I love. So I will seek after a particular scripture for the person that I'm praying for and pray that scripture for the person. I'm praying that my son will rediscover in some way his love for music. And so I've been praying from Genesis about how Jabu was the first musician who ever came on the scene. Right? I'm just praying. The, the scripture, the word gives life to the way that we live, what my point is to say that day in and day out, this is the thing about Katerina Zell, she can hardly write a sentence without calling upon a scripture that forms the way she's thinking about the things she's facing. That's the life-giving power of the gift that is the word of God. And would you help us, Lord, in this coming season to lean into it with fullness and grace would you help us to be shaped in 2019 by your word? Would you bear witness by your spirit alongside of us as we speak words of life? Would you bear witness by your spirit as you bring healing and transformation to our little community here in this place? Yes, I believe you are active and that you still can do these kinds of things. We believe. God, would you form in us the kind of joy that comes from the kind of community that we see in the book of Acts? And would you use us to testify, to be a witness to the world of the goodness of Christ, of the hope in Jesus Christ, of the life in Jesus Christ, even to anybody who might be with us this morning who's looking into these things for the first time. All of this we pray in the name of Jesus.